0: Season's greetings to you all. The team here at Ultimate Motorcycling wish every one of you a happy and relaxing holiday. (laughs) I think we've all earned it. Anyway, this week's episode brings you the Ducati Multistrada Pikes Peak Edition. Senior editor Nick De rode it in somewhat sketchy weather conditions in the mountains of Southern California. The bike is really very different from the ADV version launched earlier this year, so I'm sure you'll be interested to hear what he has to say. In the second segment, associate editor TJ Adams chats with a young lady that I personally admire very much. Lashundra Raka is a former marine and, interestingly, a relatively recent motorcycle rider, having come to the sport within just the last 10 years. As you might imagine, Lachandra is made of stern stuff, and having spotted some gaps in the moto market, she started her own company, Sport Bike Chic, and has guided it to increasing levels of success. As a small business owner myself, I know how tough it can be to make a living in the motorcycle world. So the fact that she had the courage to do it and the brains to make it work, make her worthy of our respect. She's very articulate, has a great sense of humor. So I enjoyed listening to this one very much. I hope you do too. When the Multi V4 launched
1: uh, last year, it came out pretty much in full ADV regalia. Right. And it's a pretty big change for the Multistrada overall, because if we think back to even the earliest iterations dating back to 2003, the bike has always had a pretty heavy road bias baked into it. And then as years went on, eventually other iterations were developed to really satisfy the growing and uh, currently quite popular ADV segment. But if we think back to the original iterations of it, it always had 17-inch wheels. Uh, it may have been done up in ADV styling and maybe in terms of form factor, but really, it, it was a sport touring bike, um, you know, true to its core. Um, and the the Multistrada V4 with the 19-inch front wheel, um, you know, long travel suspension and and just sort of off-road oriented componentry uh, really kind of shook things up a bit and if we're talking about the 2022 Ducati Multistrata V4 Pikes Peak in particular then yeah this is a bit of a return to form because we have a single-sided swing arm, a 17-inch wheel up front and 17-inch wheel in the rear and a couple other little changes to uh, really bring in some of that uh,
0: you know uh, traditional road sportiness into the mix. So it's it's more like the Pikes Peak edition is really the the street going version of the Multistrada rather than the ADV version. Yeah, yeah, you can look at it that way. Okay, <clears throat> I see that horsepower is relatively modest for the V four power plant. I think you're quoting it as one hundred and seventy horsepower. It's got lots of torque 90, 92 foot pounds of torque. So what was the what was the engine like?
1: Yeah, this is the the. Uh... Gran Turismo version of the V4, um, not to be confused with the uh, Desmosidici Stradale, which is in the Panigale. So there are a handful of crucial changes uh, in the mix, most importantly, and something that um, really made the Ducati sort of clutch their pearls was the (laughs) lack of a desmodromic valve train. Um, And really... Unless you're talking about a high performance application that is extremely uh, high revving, uh, desmo valve train doesn't really serve uh, a purpose. You know, it's it's a no. it's it's an engineering solution to uh, high performance problems. So when we talk about something that needs to go for high mileage, the you know more typical shim and bucket uh, valve train solution, which is found across. You know, countless motorcycles is actually a a much more efficient and um, cost effective solution. Much cheaper to service, of course. Yeah, not only is it much cheaper to service, but it doesn't require as much maintenance. So right. those are the key things that you really should think about when when talking about the Gran Turismo engine. Um, it has a valve train service of thirty six thousand miles, which is extremely. Important when you're talking about, um, you know, doing valves and you know keeping the bike out of the shop,
0: sure.
1: and for sport touring motorcycles, you know, it's funny because not to get off off track totally, but we're talking about the original um, Ducati STs and uh, you know bikes of that that early 2000 generation, and um, those early sport touring models had valve service intervals of roughly i think it's uh six or seven thousand miles i can't remember um back to that generation right but if you're talking about a sport touring motorcycle that's not exactly a lot of riding (laughs) you know especially if someone's doing you know cross-country stuff or whatever um, before they have to park it in the shop and do a major service so within the span of you know uh a little over a decade or so you know give or take if you fudge the numbers, um, they've gone from 6,000, 7,000 miles to 36,000 with the Gran Turismo engine. So really that's the big takeaway, but yeah, in terms of engine feel, um, it is quite relative to the, the inherently sporty, uh, V4 power plant that's in the Panigale and street Fighter. Um, you get massive amounts of torque just everywhere in the RPM range. It's, a very smooth engine, but there's still a bit of rawness to it that really gives you that um, sort of uh, performance palpability, if you will. It's not this incredibly, you know, silky smooth, just uh, sort of sanitized uh, power plant. It's really got some vibrancy to it. And that's something that that I enjoy. You know, it, it feels like it has some life. Yeah, it's got a little bit of a visceral feel
0: to it, which I always like.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's you know, it. it I, I think if you really wanted to just compare smoothness, you know, across the industry, I think something like the the Triumph uh, current iterations of their their triple cylinder engines really takes the cake in terms of just absolute <clears throat> smoothness. This is a, a step in the more, you know, the more aggressive direction, and Ducati really has kind of always worn that on their sleeve, which which I enjoy personally, but. Um, you know, we're just talking about different flavors here. There's not necessarily, uh, one is better than the other. It's just personality differences. Now back to the power, you know, 170 horsepower, 92 foot pounds of torque. So for a sport touring application, you have more than enough power on tap. Realistically, you can get into the triple digits and just as fast as you would on, on, on any of the, the sportier models. And power just sort of exists across the rev range, you know, above 2200, 2500 RPM, the thing will just go. And that's really important. I mean, you can plonk it into a taller gear when you're in the twisty bits and just roll the gas on and off if you want to be lazy about it. I mean, there are points where you could just leave it in, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth gear and. You know although the bike's probably not stoked about doing it in six years, all it's, right It's gonna just let the torque pull itself out of whatever um whatever situation you put it in. Um so that's that's something that's that's really beneficial for that type of riding. Um and then when you get into more aggressive riding, well, you can treat it like it's sportier cousins of the the Panigalli and the Street Fighter, and get a an experience that's quite relative. I wouldn't say it's
2: <clears throat> uh
1: you know, matched by any stretch of the imagination, but it's within the same realm, absolutely. Um, with those two bikes, the Street Fighter and the Panigale, especially a Street Fighter on the road, you get this sort of extra rush at the top. And this might sound a little bit crazy, but the Gran Turismo engine is really kind of the, the, the perfect portioned uh, v4 engine in a lot of ways and i think for a, a lot of riders too where it doesn't take that extra step in sportiness and kind of speaks to a, a a much broader audience
0: we'll say so you've got lots of mid-range and you don't have this sort of giant top end hit it just sort of gradually slopes off at the top end yeah exactly and there's no point in just revving the nuts off the thing you might as well just really use that mid-range and and uh which is, of course, where most people are typically going to be using it.
1: Yeah, especially in a, in a, in a road, um, you know, looking at things from a road perspective. You know, in the mid-range, it, it's tough to even describe it as mid-range because it's just so broad. Um, and you, you still get plenty of top-end power as well. It just doesn't take it that extra step that the sportier models are designed to do. Um, and then with that, and you actually pointed out something uh, inadvertently, uh, people were so apt to kind of explore the revs on the multi v4 that they found themselves hitting the rev limiter and doing so unknowingly um because it just pulls and pulls and pulls and pulls and, pulls and there's really no sign of it ever giving up until well you're hitting the rev limiter you're like oh okay i guess we're here <laughs> um and they actually instituted a new rev limit strategy right. that uh starts curtailing power as you're, you're about you know, a few hundred revs away from Redline, signaling to the rider that you are about to uh, start bouncing off the rev limiter. Um, and for me, because I am familiar with this power plant, I've, I'm familiar with it from the Multi V4, I've written other iterations, the Street Fighter, Panagalli, um, that wasn't too much of an issue for me. But I can think of other instances uh, and with other power plants where brands have done something similar. So um, I get why they would do that. And when you're thinking about a street context, again, trying to just smooth things out, add that little dose of refinement to the mix, because when you do slap up against a rev limiter, it is kind of jarring, Um, especially uh, if we think back to like earlier uh, motorcycle models where. When that would happen, it, it felt quite, quite rough and unexpected. So I definitely think that's a, a, a good idea on their part.
0: Yeah, as a soft rev, rev
1: limiter on the street is good. And and that said, even though we didn't ride this thing at a racetrack, you know the Multis' uh, long history of of being track capable, despite its size, I I think that the the engine. And its strengths on the road will play to many racetracks in the United States. Sure. United States, especially tighter, twistier circuits where you do have to really lean on the torque, and um, you're not going to be able to stretch out six gear you,
0: the way you would at, at you know some sure some other longer circuits through throughout the United States and, and Europe. Okay, so presumably it has a choice of different fuel maps and and modes, and of, of course all of that different stuff.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Um, you know. Uh,
1: at this point, Ducati has pretty much brought down all of their, you know, tech that they've learned from their, their super superbikes and things like that into everything. Has ride modes and uh, IMU supported electronics and uh, to different varying degrees. But with the Pikes Peak model and the Multistrada, um, technology has always been a, a a huge factor in these motorcycles. Um, And one of the newest things to the multi is the race mode. Obviously, that's something that you see on um, Panigale and Street Fighter. Okay. But uh, it's uh, a first for the multi. So you have a, a race, a sport, a touring, and an urban mode. And with all Ducati Electronics, really, instead of looking at these modes as defined modes, we should look at them as sort of a corral your electronics because they're all fully customizable. You essentially could take the race mode and neuter it down to a de facto rain mode. But uh, <laughs> you know, if you really felt the need to do that. So right. with that, you have cornering ABS, lean angle, sense of traction control, wheelie control. Your suspension settings are also uh, included in, in your respective uh, riding mode. You have hill hold uh, assist. Um, Cruise control, uh, let's see, probably forgetting something else in there.
0: Um, But really, the standard accoutrement of every flagship Ducati. You've got the full suite of aids that you can put into any one of the modes and you essentially can customize each mode as desired. But in in terms of the factory defaults, is race mode useful on the street or is that just a track day kind of thing? I think it it would really come into its own on the track,
1: but uh, I think one of the things that Ducati is doing, uh, I would say Ducati and Aprilia specifically, I would also include Triumph, um, but really Ducati and Aprilia um, are leading the pack in terms of fueling. And so throttle response with their modern ride-by-wire throttles. And every mode, regardless of the actual uh, programming of it, is just so clean. And precise, and there's not a hint of snatchiness. So even in in the most aggressive race mode, it's still something that uh, if I were to go and sow my wild oats at the racetrack, or or be in a really uh, familiar canyon, um, it's got a a quite one to one you know ratio to the rear wheel, and so having that connection to the rear wheel in relation to your RPM is really important for sport riding, and it is the most aggressive map for sure, but it's still something that you could use on the street okay now personally, I would still stick with the sport mode just because it's a little bit more sensible. you're sort of not always at that uh, knife's edge mentality, and uh, it's quite sporty in, in every sense of the word without kind of taking it that that extra little step um, that for the road you know not not sure someone really needs it um right but in certain situations i think people can enjoy it and for the racetrack well there you go then you have touring it kind of softens everything up and you're good to go there and then urban cuts power to 150 horsepower uh, peak and um you know really adds a lot of uh slack into the, the throttle response that's sort of the the most noticeable thing now beyond that uh, with each mode whether it's race sport touring urban it's uh, incrementally increasing uh, intervention levels or sort of default levels from race to urban so race is the the uh, least restrictive urban is the most and it also adjusts suspension settings uh to to help you know fit those uh moods which which really does kind of change the feel of the bike you can make you know, in the, in the race mode, it sort of stiffens everything up. And, uh, even then it's not defaulting to the stiffest suspension settings. Right. So you can take it beyond that. Um, you know, it stiffens everything up, allows you a lot more leeway and then in sport that's, that's kind of the, I would say the the perfect sort of default mode for the street, in my opinion, um, you know, dry conditions and then, uh, touring when you're just slogging down the miles on the freeway, that's, that's really good. Sure. And then you have, urban, um, you know, when things got a little bit tricky at high elevations uh, above uh, Palm Springs and Idlewild, that's kind of the mode I I went to. But yeah, you know, you have the this, this standard <laughs> fare of IMU-supported electronics from Ducati and I, I think they're a highlight of the spike and something that really works well in, in those low grip situations because we did get some weather and as we went higher in elevation, the temperature really really started plummeting and uh you know we experienced a little bit of um sleet and kind of slick conditions at near idawild so having good tc along with uh you know a very well sorted throttle is something that i do not discount in those those trickier situations um so they're as valuable to me at a high performance level as they are in a
0: more of a safety scenario really i mean just yeah for sure yeah exactly so i i i i put equal value on them in either situation even though the speeds are completely disparate sure the i mean listening to you talk about the electronics clearly this also comes with the electronic suspension and we've we've covered the is this the olins um electronic suspension correct so It's the same EC
1: 2.0 or uh, or Olin's smart EC 2.0 system that's found on the Panagalli, the Street Fighter, Yamaha R1M, you know, all of the flagship sport models in the market today. Right, the Triumph 1200 that we covered the other day. Exactly. Um, Now, obviously, hard parts are different between each model. You know, the bike still retains a uh, 170-millimeter amount of travel front and rear, which is a little bit less than the V4 Multi, but it also doesn't need it. it it's a system that that does differ from what the standard Multi V4 uh, has. And that that's actually a crucial thing to to hit on. So with the, the standard 80V going Multi V4, you have the uh, Marzocchi Skyhook suspension, which according to Ducati is more of an off-road focused um, Uh, component set. Now, they decided to go with the more tried and true Olin's system for the Pikes Peak version because it is a road-focused motorcycle. And if you're familiar with the, you know, any of the other electronic uh, semi-active damping suspension systems on the market from Olin's, this one works in the same capacity. So, you can adjust things on a sliding scale from softest to hardest. Um, and you also have your fixed modes should you want to do things the old school way. But really, I think for the street and for these types of bikes, uh, semi-active, semi-active suspension makes a lot of sense. Um, in my experience, you know, we, we started the day a little bit drizzly, kind of dried up. We got a tiny bit of dry time. And then, you know, a little bit rainy again. And then in elevation, we got some rain and cold. Um, and in each situation, I would kind of dial in the suspension to sort of suit the needs of what I was willing to do in, in those those conditions. And you can really just dial in the motorcycle for, well, for your needs as a rider. So putting things in the softest mode, you can introduce a lot of pitch into the chassis, which is really important at those lower speeds. Uh, So you can actually gain some chassis feel and uh, just, well, you know, stay in control and comfortable in the motorcycle. I mean, not to compare ourselves to MotoGP, but, or professional racing in any capacity, when you see those guys get in a scenario where they're suddenly faced with a wet race, you'll notice they start changing suspension settings, softening the bike up a whole lot. And really you're just trying to bring some feel into the mix because your speeds are gonna be lower. Okay, so in my case, I don't need a pit crew. All I need to do is stop, go into the dash, soften things up and suddenly you have a bike that has a lot more feel in those trickier conditions. So the changes are very noticeable then? Oh, absolutely. And it, it fundamentally changes how the bike uh reacts to your inputs. Um, you know, in, in the softest settings, you can int- like I said before, you can introduce a lot of pitch, you know, on the brakes. You know, you can feel the rear end squatting down. And but while it does allow more movement in the chassis, the semi-active uh damping is still controlling that movement within the confines of your uh your chosen settings. So it's not letting things just dive uncontrollably or you know, squat with, you know, impunity. It's, it's still keeping things relatively tight. Um, and then as you ramp things up, you just get a much more taut chassis at every stage. Um, so in the dry sections, I crank things up, had it in the race and sport mode, and and uh, yeah, it's a completely different motorcycle uh, from end to end. Um, you know, and on that end, there there are some some crucial changes to the the chassis as well. Okay, you know, for the Pike speak edition um, and stepping away from that, that ADV design brief with the original multi in in 21, you know, you have a new front frame or monocoque frame, as we know, because with all modern Panigale street fighters and multi-stratas, the engine is a stress member, so it does not have a conventional frame in the way we would imagine like a steel trellis frame of uh, Ducati in the past. But uh, at any rate, uh, they've essentially added a new new front frame to kick out the rake a little bit, uh, add a little bit of trail, and then with the introduction of the single side swing arm, uh, that's a little bit longer, which really adds up to a wheelbase that's about um, one point one inches
0: longer, more or less. Really, that's that's a lot. I mean, one and a over an inch of of extra wheelbase.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's quite a bit. I mean, we're going we're looking at a wheelbase that is just shy of sixty three inches, and that's considerable by you know any measure. Um, if you think about sport sport bikes, they're typically sub sixty. Um, you know, a lot of middleweight sport bikes are are in the you know fifty five inch
0: to fifty six inch fifty seven inch range. Have they changed the front end at all? Have they changed the rake and trail compared to the yeah uh, compared to the adv version yeah yeah so with that
1: with that front frame uh the rake is extended a little bit and uh, the trail uh,
0: consequently is lengthened a little bit wow so this bike is going to be a lot more stable and a lot less i don't want to say slower steering but but it's going to be it's not going to be anywhere near as aggressive as the adv version so Based on the numbers alone you you
1: might think that, however, we also have to really um, kind of dial in on the the finer points of it and remember that we're going from a nineteen inch wheel to a seventeen okay, so more weight is added to the front end because now the front end is significantly lower. okay um, and beyond that, you have much more grip in the front just because you have a a seventeen inch wheel that's capable of using a fatter tire essentially yeah much stickier tire sure yeah so compared to a 19 inch wheel with an adv uh, biased uh you know set of pirelli's on it and now we have the uh diablo rosso 4 which is a more than sporty you know set of set of tires on it uh you have much more grip in the front end than an adv bike could ever hope to achieve and uh with the geometry being biased a lot more forward um, you know the the sort of uh, maybe preconceived notion that it would steer slowly
0: is, I would say, circumvented. Sure. Yeah. No. That 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 is actually quite an interesting point. By loading up the front like that and changing the weight distribution, it it speeds everything up. So even though the numbers tell you that it would slow the steering down, actually I, that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Then there's two really crucial points that. Um, the, the Multistrada has going for it um, beyond the geometry. So with the Pike's Peak Edition, it comes with uh, you know, some of the, the fancier bits, like we mentioned, the semi-active uh, Olin suspension, but the other crucial one is the new Marcosini um, forged aluminum wheels. So okay. they did not give us numbers compared to the spoke wheels that I rode on the Multi V4. They compared them directly to the, the standard cast wheels. And in comparison to those, the 17-inch Marcosini save 8.8 pounds of unsprung
0: weight. So, wow! yeah, that's... <laughs> Holy moly. Not, not, not each, in, in total? In, in total, in total. So, 4.4 pounds on each wheel. Yeah. Wow. Now, that's
1: a huge amount of unsprung weight. Um, and, you know, as our listeners know, when you change unsprung weight values either positively or negatively it it just radically uh either improves or 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 (laughs) hampers (laughs) your bike's handling um but you know in this case like the geometry has already done you know some favors for it in terms of handling you have the unsprung weight which really negates a lot of the gyroscopic forces that um sure you know wheels impose just by rotating and then it's also a seventeen-inch wheel instead of a nineteen, so that center of mass is also closer to the hub. That's another thing to mention. And then the last piece of the puzzle is another uh, engineering feat that defeats, uh, you know, gyroscopic forces, which is the counter-rotating crankshaft. That does a couple things here, and it also does, you know, the same in the Pentagon Street Fighter. So with the counter- counter-rotating crankshaft, which is developed from MotoG- MotoGP. Not only does it allow the bike to handle much, uh, you know, just much faster, it's able to transition in a much more clean way than uh, if the V4 had a forward rotating crankshaft because it's able to overcome some of those gyroscopic forces that would prevent it from uh, getting onto the edge of the tire as aggressively. And the other thing that it does is it adds stability. it it sort of acts as a as a mechanical wheelie control we'll say because it really just encourages that front end to stay down now you still have 170 horsepower and if you were to turn off the wheelie control which i think race mode defaults to wheelie control off when you really crack the whip you know the front end's going to come up you know geometry can only do so much in the face of godlike power but um, you know, with the Marquesini wheels, the updated geometry, counter-rotating crankshaft, those are sort of the, the holy trinity of handling, we'll say, for the, the Pike's speak And that's what sets it apart, whether you're riding out of the parking lot or going up a, the, uh, you know, State Route 74 near Palm Springs, it's immediately noti- immediately noticeable. Sure, sure, I can imagine. Yeah, so that's, that's sort of the big takeaway. Um, you know, if you want a a bike this big, you know, the, the quote I said was a bike this big has no business handling this well. And I would I would stand by that statement, even though we didn't get to push it to its, you
0: know, uh, limits by any means. Uh, or the, the ragged edge as uh, <laughs> <laughs> is the is the Pike's Peak version lighter than the ADV version or are they pretty similar weights? They're they're within earshot of each other. Um, okay
1: and you know it's it's tough because you you have to start thinking about um the version that i rode uh with or the the multi strata v4 version that i rode had a wire spoke wheels which add uh a, a decent amount of weight as well and um you know there there's some tweaks and changes here and there but um you know really your the pike speak version is coming in at a claimed weight of 527 pounds. So certainly not the biggest in the sport touring class, but we're still cresting that 500 pound mark. Sure. And uh, making a bike in, in that weight class handle like this, you know, I really have to chalk it up to, uh, you know, lightweight components like the Marcassinis, just well-sorted geometry that the multi-strata has always kind of displayed plus counter-rotating crankshaft that's that's something
0: that uh, i can't discount okay so it handles well it it feels stable it's got nice neutral handling it turns in quickly exactly and and that
1: comes through whether you're you know hitting the few dry sections that we got or even more importantly you're in some of the sketchier sections that we faced um (laughs) you know riding a bike in the rain is not ideal in terms of going to a press trip. You know, there's a lot of organization for the manufacturer and then they get rain and it's like, come on. <laughs> but, you know, um, uh-huh. the, the reality is there are motorcycles that do much better than others in those situations. And this one does quite well. So speaking to the versatility of the multi I think, you know, in its Pike's, Pike's peak iteration, there's a lot of bikes that that could do much, much worse than this. Okay. Uh, you know, faced with low grip situations, cold, damp, the dry, you know, it, it held its own in those tougher climates, and then really shined in areas where it could shine. So to kind of sum it up, it's, it's uh, to use an old motorcycling term is you go fast in the fast corners, and you go slow in the slow, slow corners. Well, if you follow that adage, and you treat things with respect and you ride to the the available grip this bike is going to take care
0: of you through and through and do nothing that's going to surprise you at any any moment so okay as a sport touring bike what are the ergonomics like and and presumably you can add bags and that kind of stuff
1: yeah yeah so you can get all of the all of the
0: stuff that you can get from the the multi v4 is is available here okay and the, the ergonomics have got to be pretty different to the ADV version, but but presumably it's still pretty comfortable. I mean, it's an upright sport bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So they, they did do a number of changes to the bike, um, starting with the handlebar that is lowered uh, roughly 15 millimeter, and then the sweep is also reduced by, if I remember correctly something like nine degrees or nine millimeter either way the handlebar is much flatter than before and it's also shorter so it's 18 millimeters shorter overall so you have a lower flatter narrower handlebar okay so that's that's the first component of it the seat hasn't changed at all that's all good you know the tail section and you know the fuel tank area that's that's the same okay but they've also raised up the foot pegs 10 mil and then Uh, brought them back uh 10 mil as well okay so that kind of kicks you in just this you know ever so slightly athletic position we'll say but it's still more than amicable for riding all day and uh you know then you have ample wind protection uh with the the sort of petite windscreen um it's not the taller windscreen that's featured on the standard multi-adv bike Uh, this one is a more well, sport touring oriented one is it adjustable it is and you just have a you know one touch little pull up and down you can raise it up and down a couple inches something like that and you know with the the look of the the multi it is a sizable machine and that's sort of where that quote of a, a bike this big has no business handling this well sort of thing you know it's it's a multi strata right you know, big front end you have the beak and plastics and It's sizable. Well, for ergonomics that, that can work to your benefit in the sense that one, it offers plenty of wind protection uh, just by its nature. It's not like a a narrow V twin um, naked bike where your knees at high speeds are being, you know, spread apart, (laughs) but um, (laughs) no, you're, you're incredibly comfortable. Um, And then the seat height is adjustable. even in standard trim. So you're looking at a seat height of between, uh, 30, 33.1 and 33.9. So again, ADV bikes, which have always been the choice for, uh, taller people in the world, this thing, if you're six foot plus, you're going to be totally happy instead of trying to cram yourself onto a sport bike or something like that. But, um, you know, beyond that, they also have high and low seat options, which are pre-fitted for, um, heat so they are heated seats um and even at the the 33.1 seat height that we rode at i would say i had no issue getting my boots on the ground and i have a 32 inch inseam um ducati's done a good job of keeping that seat and tank seam quite narrow and making sure that it's not uh you know kind of like your you're, you're bow legged over a donkey or something like that. Um, <laughs> right. Some of these, okay, yeah, you know, some of these bigger ADV motorcycles they can really kind of kind of get okay. a bit girthy. <laughs> you know, I I think about kind of like the the BMW uh, uh 1250 GSA when it's fully loaded. They're taller motorcycles and also wide and KTM and Ducati. Because of their form factors uh, and their their engine choices, are able to get away with much thinner, thinner yeah, thinner sure. motorcycles. ATM yeah. being much thinner because it's a twin, um, and then the V4 is thinner than than the boxer and and you know the massive fuel tank that the GSA uses. But uh, I'm still able to get my boots on the deck. And then we also have to remember that in comparison to the Multistrada V4 this motorcycle is lower to the ground overall. One, 17-inch wheels, and two, uh, slightly shorter uh, suspension choices. So that does lower the overall height of the motorcycle because it's on the street, doesn't need to be as tall, doesn't need that much uh,
0: ground clearance, so. So this thing is, uh, in terms of cost, it comes in, I think, at a shade under 29 grand. Yes, 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 it does. And, you know, you think about what it is, it's
1: the. It, it's not a limited edition, but it is a Pike's Peak Edition. And with that, you get the upgraded uh, Marcosini wheels, you get the Ohlins electronic suspension. Uh, there are crucial updates to make this a more sporty motorcycle overall. So updated front frame, swing arm. And uh, then you also have the Akropovich slip-on, uh, Canister, which is a, a titanium uh, muffler. And there's some updates into that. So it is a little bit lighter than the standard unit and a little bit smaller overall. It just kind of adds to the fanfare. There's also some really cool carbon bits in the front, um, you know, and you get Ducati Corsa badging. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, at, at, you know, shy of 30 grand, which is, you know, right in line with the Panagalli and, um, you know, up spec. Uh, other Ducati's, yeah, yeah, it's going to cost you a pretty penny, but has just about everything you could want in terms of electronics as well. Of course, we didn't mention the up-down quick shifter. Um, That features uh, an updated algorithm um, for aggressive uh, riding, I will say. Uh, So they've shortened the kill times uh, on the upshift and the downshift. Uh, Interestingly, kind of at mid-level RPM and low RPM, You could introduce just a bit of jumpiness. Um, But as you get more aggressive with the throttle, it cleans up. And uh, well, the more aggressive you ride, the better it gets. So it's one of those things that kind of encourages you to go faster, um, which really kind of fits in line with how I understand Ducati as a brand. So Uh, does this thing come with, uh, with cruise control? I assume it does. Yeah, of course. And in fact, it comes standard with the adaptive cruise control and blind spot detection, thanks to the front and rear facing uh, radar. Uh, That was something that first came to market with the Multistrada V4S in you know, touring packages and things like that. And it is an extra on um, the ADV bike, but it's standard on the Pikes Peak. And on this trip, I played around with it quite a bit. Um, you know, it's a really cool feature where you can set your speed, like you would on any other cruise control. Then you can also set distance away from other vehicles and it will speed up and slow down in relation to, uh, the vehicles around you. There's also a passing function where you just click on your turn signal. It'll, you know, execute the pass. And then once you're done, go back to your, you know, original speed. And then the blind spot detection is another really cool little feature where it just signals, uh, you know, in your uh, mirrors and gives you an indication that something is in your blind spot, you know, to uh, beat a, a phrase to death. But, um, right. okay. <laughs> you know, it is really handy, especially in the rain where, you know, you might be riding in a close formation or um, you might want to change direction or something like that. And you have some visibility issues. Uh, you know, with mist from cars on the freeway, and it's it's definitely a handy little feature. And for anyone that owns a car, basically after you know 2012, that's the kind of technology that they're going to be familiar with. So it is nice to see it coming into the
0: bike world. Okay, it sounds like you really enjoyed the bike overall. It it sounds like it worked really well.
1: Yeah, no i i i enjoyed the motorcycle quite a bit. Um, you know, there there's some other changes. Of course, they updated the algorithm to. Uh, Wheelie control updated the ABS modes to fit a more um, street oriented positioning. But really when you think about sort of Ducati's history with the Multistrada, um, which goes back to 2008, uh, originally the brand took to the mountain with uh, Greg Tracy aboard a Hypermotard and he was able to secure a victory. He came back later on aboard a Multistrada 1200 claimed another title for Ducati. And then we have, um, you know, the late Carlin Dunn, who still stands as Ducati's most accomplished rider at Pikes Peak, who has uh, three titles to his name aboard a strata Motorcycles. And some it, shocking speed records as well
0: on that. Yeah, yeah, he was the first one to break the 10-minute the barrier. Okay, but yes, I mean, it, the, the bike has a storied Pikes Peak um, list of accomplishments. So The, the question did come up you know, among the group, but,
1: um, I, you know, one of the, one of my colleagues was, you know, just kind of inquiring about how, well, motorcycles aren't allowed to race at Pikes Peak anymore, et cetera, et cetera. And Pikes Peak has always had this very kind of, um, on-off relationship with motorcycles, you know, throughout its over hundred year history. Motorcycles have been absent, uh, from the, the race to the clouds at sort of random intervals um so we are in one of those intervals again but you know the pikes peak edition really just honors the the highs and lows of racing we'll say um because ducati has claimed quite a few titles and uh you know they've experienced you know the the pitfalls of racing as well and they've taken them in stride and that this is what this bike honors and i i think that that is a very commendable
0: thing to do
3: there's definitely a brand there. there, there
0: is a brand. So yeah, I, I can understand, I can understand them sticking with the Pikes Peak as a brand, but it sounds that it sounds like as a motorcycle, the, the V4 Multistrada ADV version, which came out a few months ago, this time, well, almost a year ago, was very, very well received. Um, so I think for, for more street oriented guys who literally are really never going to go off road, um, but they they are going to ride in the real world with all the bumps and problems and nastiness that, that modern day roads provide. Um, I think this bike is is gonna is is a good answer to that. Oh yeah, yeah. If you want all the bells and whistles
1: and you want to go not only far but fast, something like the Pike's Peak is gonna be right up your alley. And then we should also note that at least in Southern California, the Pikes Peak has a long tradition of showing up at track days and going much faster than some super sports and super bikes, which having witnessed this firsthand is hilarious to watch. Um, you know, so...
0: <laughs> i sure. sure.
1: Ducati will... No bike leaves the the Bologna factory without that, that Ducati performance injected into it. So, even if it's, we'll say... Larger proportions may not indicate that on, this, on the surface, you know, because the multi is a big bike, but it can do it. Anyway, you know, fun experience. And, uh, you know, the multi proves its versatility once again. So that's where we're at. All right. Well, thanks for your thoughts. I appreciate it. Yeah, no worries.
0: All right. See ya. This second segment brings us a young lady that I personally admire very much. Associate Editor TJ Adams chats with Lashandra Rucker, founder and owner of Sportbike Chic, a motorcycle apparel and accessories retailer for women. Lashandra is a former Marine, and so, as you might imagine, she's made of stern stuff. Sportbike Chic is growing well, and as a small business owner myself, I know how challenging it can be to make a living in the motorcycle world. That she had the courage to do it and the brains to make it work is very impressive and it makes her worthy of our respect. She's very articulate and she has a great sense of humour. So I really enjoyed hearing about what she had to say about her and her company's journey to date. I hope you do too.
2: So you're an ardent supporter of
3: women riding motorcycles. Absolutely, I'm a little biased, you know. So I'm riding for like the last, Twelve years or so, so it's hard not to be because you know it's such a male-dominated culture, and then you find that even though you have so many men that are um that are obviously present, you have a lot more women that's out here. Not only are they present and riding, but they're actually contributing in different ways, right? So yes, of like motorcycle organizations, whether they are you know bike clubs or support groups, and they're out there supporting the riders, you know. contributing it's just it's hard to ignore the impact that women actually make in the motorcycle world and you know just because we have a lot of riders you also have a lot of passengers out there too you know a lot of wives a lot of girlfriends and you know other women that just kind of support overall so whereas there may be some things that you know people period they have their strong suits whether they're male or female. But there are certain certain things that some women are just better at um, negotiating, you know, whether it's organizing certain events, making things happen, and just kind of coming together. You definitely see the impact that women make, so it's hard to ignore. And of course, from from a being a woman a woman writer, you know, I like to think that I've, you know, regardless of whether sport bike chic exists or not, that I kind of make a difference in the motorcycle world myself. So. I don't know it's it's been a fun ride um lots of different opportunities out there but yeah you can't deny the the role and the impact that women make yes absolutely um pillions as you say as well as
2: actual riders um I think it's a very empowering thing for women it's because it's it's you know a, a solo sport if you like or a solo adventure when you you have your own bike and do your own thing but also as a pillion, you know, you're, as you say, you're giving that back up and you know, you're a biker.
3: So. Absolutely. I never thought I, um, I never thought about riding. So I picked up a motorcycle one morning and I went to a dealership basically. And I'm like, I want a motorcycle. And that was what happened. So I'm like, I don't know how to ride or anything. So can you just, can you ride it back for me? He's like, no, that's not how this works. <laughs> so, I mean, just the fact that you're able to get over whatever fear there is, get beyond yourself and being able to embrace that, embrace that culture, embrace just the lifestyle and forget the lifestyle itself, just the ability to be on a motorcycle and just ride, you know, just you and the wind and that whole independence factor. I mean, that within itself, anyone that actually does that or can do that, there's there's something to be said for that person, that personality, either you're gonna get over it and kind of, you know, ride the motorcycle or let your fear win. And so for those that choose to kind of get over that and, you know, embrace that, there's no going back. You know, so. A lot of it is down to
2: people's personality, their fears or anxieties, mm-hmm. rather than their physical capabilities.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, everyone, motorcycling, we always say it's a serious sport, it's serious fun, is what they use, the phrase they use. And it's true because you're more exposed than you ever will be when you're in transport you know I mean you are on two wheels and some gas (laughs) (laughs)
2: that's right you're just astride an engine so you're pretty vulnerable
3: hopefully you're wearing gear you know so if if you have that that little combination where at least you have gear on it's obviously going to be a safer ride but yeah I mean when you're looking at what you're able to do and being able to accomplish there is a lot of Fear associated with there's a lot of risk associated with that. You know, anytime that you are on the motorcycle and it's just you, if you're traveling distances by yourself, if you are just kind of going out and enjoy the ride, whatever the case may be, it's not only you riding for yourself, but you kind of making sure that you're aware of every that everyone else around you and the potential dangers that are out there. Of course, and then you haven't even talked about making making sure you're paying attention to gears, to road, to everything else. So it can certainly be a lot of, a lot, a lot of fun. And I think this is like the most that I've enjoyed my um, adult years have really been on motorcycle. A lot of folks who just, they pick it up just naturally breathing. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. And there's nothing wrong with the people that choose to kind of take another route too, because it's not gonna be for everybody and that's okay. I'm just kind of grateful that people take that time to explore the opportunity and know whether it's for them or not. And they're bold enough to say, hey, yeah, this isn't for me. And if, they, if, if it is for them, hey, it's great.
2: So, did you do a course yourself once you bought your motorcycle, or did it happen the other
3: way around? You went off and learned to ride and went back and purchased your motor? I was in, let's see, I think I was in North Carolina, as a matter of fact, when I was first introduced to an MSF course. So, a friend of mine actually took the course. Um, and he's like, well, come with me. I'm like, I don't know about this. (laughs) So I'm thinking, well, sure. Why not? And this was like five years before I even thought about getting a motorcycle. You know, I got my little helmet, got my little jacket, but you know, I really wasn't serious about, you know, doing anything. I just thought about, "Hmm, all right, it's something to do on a weekend. And so I was down here, we went to class, I passed it. But again, time had passed when I went back and got on a motorcycle again, when I woke up that morning and decided, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Then the I I had to go on YouTube when I got back to the house to figure out how do you turn this thing on again? What are these controls again? I mean, everything's really starting off new. I mean, they say certain things are like riding motor or riding a bicycle. This is not one of them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Reintroduced to it all over again because there's obviously a different risk factor involved, right? So um, I had to start riding again, practicing in the neighborhoods and just getting familiar with the, um, with, the, with the controls again. And then I went back and took it again where there was a class that was available. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it is different. You ha- I, I do feel more confident you know, when you go through the class, when you have someone that's actually skilled, that's able to show you the ropes, show you some tips and tricks and show you the proper way of doing things. So that you know that regardless of what habits you picked up, you at one point in time, you learn the right way to do this.
2: Yes. Um, I would urge people to take take lessons and to learn from somebody who's got the skills and the knowledge, a qualified person. Um, so many people just learn from friends, myself included. And I've ended up with anxieties that I shouldn't have because, you know, I just was put on a motorbike by a bunch of pals and then fell off a lot. <laughs> So I would urge anybody thinking about starting their motorcycle career to Absolutely. go on the course. So then was it shortly after that that you um, spotted a gap in the market for gear for ladies? Nope.
3: I was just riding around doing my thing, you know, I, um, I was getting used to riding motorcycles and riding more I was getting used to the people around me because I re- I end up joining a motorcycle organization and hanging out with certain people and, you know, just getting used to it because I, I this was nowhere on my agenda growing up by no means. I wasn't thinking about motorcycles at all. So when I was introduced to this whole lifestyle, it was a lot to get used to. It was a lot to understand. It was a lot to learn, period. Um, but at the same time, it wasn't until years down the road. I've been riding for about 10 years, 12 years or so. And it wasn't until like maybe six, six or seven years ago that you started to notice things when you start to you know, visit hospitals and you see road rash and you see other incidents that happen and then all of a sudden you go to funerals and everything, you start taking safety a little bit more seriously. You know, and of course I've had a couple of spills myself, but at the same time, you, 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 when you have those incidents, when you have those occurrences, you can't help but wonder, you know, what about a safer ride, you know? and of course, we all see it. We all see the folks that are that are riding around with T-shirts and riding around with uh, you know flip flops at times. And I was fortunate enough and to you know ride with folks where we really preached and practiced motorcycle safety. So it was always always gear, always a helmet, um, so that if the worst happens, then you know at least you know you did that basic piece of being protected. Um, so. With that said, you know, I went out and actually started to look for a pair of jeans. I wanted some of jeans. I wanted to be cute, but I wanted them a lot of Kevlar, just like I saw everyone else with, you know, I wanted to take more recycling and that safety a little bit, a little bit more seriously than I had in the past. You know, I always had a gear, but I wanted to just take it to the next level. Um, but at the same time, you know, when I walked into different stores, I couldn't really find my size. I'm thinking, wait, I'm kind of a normal size. What, what is this about? And so I looked around a little bit more and I still could not find what I was looking for. And I think that was just frustrating within itself. And so I was thinking, hold up, if I can't find what I'm looking for, then somebody else didn't either. And so I was just, I did a little bit of market research. I did a little bit more of investigating and trying to find someone, okay, can you just make me a pair of pants? Can you just do that? And kind of got close, but then not really. But then it just evolved. You know, it just evolved into not just about me making me a pair of pants, but what about the rest of the folks out there? Because if I can't find my, some for me, then what about this person that I know is a little bit, a um, little bit curvier than I am? You know, and you know that there's a gap because even when you look at, um, you know, what's available in the fashion, it took a long time for just regular fashion to catch up with sizes and be comfortable with introducing more size options. For women riders, for women, period, regardless of whether you ride or not. So when you translate that gap into what's available in the motorcycle world, where the U.S. is such a small portion of that global um, community, yeah, of course there was going to have to be a gap someplace. So someone had to be very intentional about going out and and making something and designing it with the with the women and with curves in mind. You know, I'm figuring. Surely this isn't going to be me, but
2: I am. And there you are. You set it rolling. So you, obviously you've got the motorcycle passion and you must have had entrepreneurial skills because, <laughs> you know, you set, set your company up and it's going great guns. How did you actually get that ball rolling and become more commercial?
3: That was a learning process. This was my first entrepreneurial endeavor. Right. It. it was always hey you go you go to school you get a good job and you work it and that's it you retire and then somewhere along the way your thought process starts to change you get introduced to different seeds that are planted um and the next thing you know you're thinking well what if right and around the same time i had my little tank purse idea because i got frustrated enough that i really wanted to see you know that brought to market and i'm thinking maybe perhaps could i really <laughs> i've always been the type where at least i'll try i'll try anything at least once just just to see if i can cross off my list and great but i'm going to at least try so i did a little bit more research and i have to learn the whole everything about being an entrepreneur because that whole that's a skill set that's a different mindset that you really have to start to embrace and i think that's sometimes something that people underestimate that when you decide that you're becoming an entrepreneur, then you have to start to depend on yourself a little bit more, which is okay. I think we do that enough. But then you also have to look at, well, what are your resources? You know, and then your own personal skill set. If you don't have those, um, if you don't have those resources or that skill, what are you going to do? how do you hire people? I'm not, um, I'm not from a designer background. I'm actually process oriented and more technical oriented. So if that's the case, how do I even begin to design a pair of jeans or a jacket that would, that would fit myself or anyone else? So that was a, this has been like maybe three to five years at least of a good learning curve to try to figure out what being an entrepreneur is like, and then entering into the fashion world, what that looks like, and how do you navigate that with the limited resources and limited, limited skill sets. And I think that's something that, you know, once you learn and learn, to, once you figure things out, that's one thing I can appreciate about being an entrepreneur. That if you had to go back and do it again, you could because you didn't take it for granted. Those learning lessons it's still there and hopefully maybe someday I'll actually guide someone else along that whole same journey if they needed to but for right now I feel like um, I've been able to capture the right resources understand a little bit more about how to make something successful and the value of market research and of course, you always want to be able to stay connected to the customers and to people. And it's a little bit easier because I'm I'm, I'm, I'm involved in the motorcycle community. But at the same time, you know, it's, um, it's still different from a standpoint where you are running a business and you need resources to do so, financial resources, people resources, or you get ready to make that sacrifice and you do it on your own.
2: And yourself, your way of thinking, you have to think, you know, more of a commercial manner you might have your own opinion and your own desires and preferences but you have to think commercially you have to be in other people's shoes
3: absolutely you are so right and I'm gonna tell you now sometimes I'm like I want it because I want it <laughs> right uh-huh. they'll say that you know some things I just wanted what I wanted regardless of what was going to happen this is going to be introduced to the world and you know I, I still will say that Yes, absolutely. It's for, it's for other women out there. That's why we build based on feedback. That's why Sport Bike Sheet, we we have the surveys out there. We're often talking to folks. I'm sorry, I'm often talking to folks and, you know, the folks that kind of, um, you know, I end up hiring for different things that feedback is a big thing, right? Because yes. it is not just about me. Um, And I think that was a hard thing to kind of realize because you think, well, I'm a woman. Well, surely everyone wants what I want, but you know what? That's a humbling experience to know that, no, no, that's not the case. I didn't (laughs) want that color. And it was funny because I kind of like very basic things. Sometimes I'm more about functionality. Give me, give me, does it work? Great. Let's make it work. But then some folks are really about, you know, a little bit more bling, a little bit more fashion, a little sass and style. I'm like, huh, okay. Well, whatever you want, <laughs>
2: yes, yeah, so you're incorporating probably items that you you don't even like sometimes because you have to offer those options,
3: yeah, but I'd make sure that at least I fall in love with at least what i what I do bring, you know otherwise we just won't, but I will definitely consider just about anything. it just so happens that you know some things you have to look at from a business standpoint i obviously every price feedback can't be brought to market. Every, it can't be realized, not even my own, right? So I think that's a good balancing act and a, a good reminder for me. Is there a popular demand for this particular feature, for this particular item or what have you? If there is, great. But if it's like a onesie twosie, even again for myself, uh, Sean, do you really need to go down this road? Or maybe this is something that comes along a little bit further um, after you get more feedback or after you maybe you get some more, um, some more requests for it. So it is something that you're absolutely right. It is um, about everyone else out there. And you have to take that me out of there a little bit more.
2: Yes. Yeah. And you have to maintain your enthusiasm. And yet, I mean, you have to be a doer for sure. You can have be full of ideas and not actually get anything done. (laughs) So you definitely have to be a doer.
3: Absolutely. It's about strategy too. You know, it can't just be about I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do all the activities that was, they're associated with building a business because you can't. That's a that's a humbling experience as well to kind of know that you can't do it all. You know, for a person that's a driver and a doer, that sometimes you need help and you have to be able to ask for help and you know, trust that it will get done. And I think that's um that's another thing I had to kind of realize when to ask for help and how to ask for help, and you know what resources do I need to expect to get that help from?
2: And how did you come up with your name? I mean, it's a stylish, it's a fantastic name.
3: There are a couple of names that I tried before, and they were all taken. I'm like, seriously, surely no one has thought of this before, and absolutely thought about it before. So it was just um, a little play on words and just playing around with different things. But I knew it wanted to have a sport bike theme. Um, but at the same time, you know, I could easily convert jeans from regardless of whether you were ride a sport bike or a cruiser jeans or jeans. You know, but I think the whole sport bike piece that was more so my passion. Absolutely, right. You still get to have that that uniqueness to you when it comes to being chic and stylish and fashionable. But again, now we're looking at motorcycle apparel, so you still want something that fits and is fun but it's still functional too so one of those things where you still get to embrace your femininity and embrace that that strength and that all the things that come with being a woman without having to sacrifice anything and make no apologies for any of it so I think that's really about you know what sport by sheet kind of means to me just embracing it all because we don't have to do we don't have to be extra masculine or extra, extra feminine you just be who you are right just embrace it all some days I I, you know, I grew up being a tomboy at the same time, I, I used to mm-hmm. despise pink, oh my goodness, it was horrible, like there was nothing pink in my closet, <laughs> somewhere, I think it was probably when I was in the military, it crossed the road, it crossed that line where I'm thinking, ooh, I could use a little bit of pink here, and a little pink there, so you just stop running from trying to fit in to being okay with standing out, if that's what you chose.
2: Yes, yeah, some self-expression. You want to also look like yourself when you get off the motorbike because you're not always just going for a ride. You're often going to work or you're going to a function. and You want your clothes to be stylish when you step off the, the bike as well.
3: Absolutely. I mean, because a lot of times if you are in a motorcycle community, you're not just going from one point A to point B. Some days you are taking a ride, absolutely, but some days you're going to a biker party or some days you're going to a cookout. Or a, uh, you know, some kind of function or event. And then I know one of the things that used to (laughs) kind of annoy me is, you know, getting on a motorcycle, getting off. And yes, you're wearing regular jeans, you're wearing regular clothes, but, you know, I I always wanted to at least embrace that femininity. I wanted to always look feminine. And whether I did wear makeup or whatever it is, or nails or anything else, I still wanted to embrace that femininity. Um, So when it came down to, having gear, you know, for me, and as I got feedback from other women riders, you know, we wanted some of the same things. We wanted different colors. We wanted, you know, softer colors. It wasn't just all black. It wasn't just all pink either, but it definitely wasn't just all dark, hard, hard colors that were out there. So I wanted to be able to soften it up a little bit and just bring options. Yes, I love black. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh-huh. but also there are different things and different needs that women women, motorcyclists and passengers have that sometimes, you know, guys, they don't think about, they don't think about a purse like we do as it being kind of a, an essential deal when you're riding or when you're just going down the street to carry all your stuff in. Um, and so that's really how the tank purse kind of evolved. You wanted something that was feminine, but functional so I wanted to have a tank bag too but at the same time I wanted it to be a purse not something that was bulky and so when I came up with that design it was about a need and as I go to different motorcycle shows and I see the, the person the look on their face when she's like we do the demo I'm like oh my gosh I've been looking for that why didn't anybody think of this before and it's like knew it yeah exactly
2: i the the tank purse you've trade you've um trademarked your tank purse haven't you it is a fantastic product thank you you know it looks it looks so uh, got regular and chic when you're you're not on the bike and yet straight away you have the magnets you can just open it up it's like magic and you can just you know put it on your tank and and it's there securely and off you go and you've still got easy access I think it's amazing.
3: Absolutely. So I rode back from um from Orlando a few weeks ago, I guess a couple months ago. And that was all I had with me. You know, I'd already had, um, had my other stuff sent ahead and, you know, I just had my tank purse and it was just me on the bike with the gear and everything. And then it was so convenient because when I pulled up to the gas stops, next thing you know, I'm not getting off the bike or hiding through different pockets. I go right in front, get my little stuff out pay for my gas, still sitting on a tank if I need to, put it back inside, do what I need to, I'm off, right? It was just so convenient. I'm thinking, every time it happens, I'm thinking to myself, this is exactly why I did this. I'm so glad. And now if I even think about coming out of the house without my tank purse if I wanted to, like it just doesn't even feel right like I need to go back and get it's almost like looking your cell phone at this point yeah you're just so you so accustomed to it and so it's such a necessity for me
2: yeah it's an awesome product I'm, I'm gonna get one of those for Christmas I hope I <laughs> <laughs> no, don't want to spoil any of my own surprises <laughs> but yeah they're fantastic and you do jewelry
3: as well I noticed so
2: you've got some nice touches there
3: thank you so we have chain link bracelets but also we have their signature curves um, necklace and our curves bracelet that goes along with it little earrings so I wanted something that was very unique to the line that when you look at it you couldn't really tell if it was art or what so realistically we talked about it I got together with my graphic designer and we came up with a um with a nice little design so when you look at it 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 has the curves, it has the elements of the wind, and it's really soft and feminine, but it really still um, embraces that whole freedom and the whole you know everything that you want. is just it's there, and I think that's um that's just a good representation of you know women being able to you know express themselves again in just a different way.
2: Yes, unique design. So um you do have some products for. the the fellas now so any men listening you can go on and look for gifts for your ladies on sport bike chic but also I was looking at your flannel shirt for men and what touched me about that was the fact that (laughs) a it's a good price and b you get all of the body armor in with it for that price often you have to buy buy them separately I think it was I was looking at it for about 80 bucks
3: yeah, right now we have a sale that's going on, so we can make room for some of the new products that I'm super excited about being introduced in the spring. Um, so yes, we do have that one item for men, but you know, for all those guys that are out there listening, make sure that you know if you ride with a lady and you make sure you know you want, may want to make sure that she has her her own personal equipment and you know her own jeans and her whole, her own jacket because you want her to be safe as well. Because just as much as you want to wear gear and gear that fits and have a safer ride. You know, think about those passengers too. And what does your favorite lady rider want? So guessing there's some stuff out there for you.
2: Yes, yeah, definitely. That's a good place to start. Um, Now you touched on the forces and I wanted to ask you a bit about that. You were um, in the US Marines. Yes. What sort of things did you do there? I'm just a bit nosy because I don't know a lot about the US Marines. I actually thought that that meant you were out on the water.
3: And maybe you were, but not necessarily, apparently. Nope, not at all. Um, I had no desire to go on water. But at <laughs> the same time, I actually used to fix ground radio equipment. So um, that was that was my primary role. I did um, a little, uh, like maybe three years in embassy duty where I served in um, Pretoria, South Africa, then Guatemala City. So that was actually a really, really interesting experience. So you you never forget all the things that you meet, uh, all the things you go through, the people that you meet. And, you know, sometimes you underestimate the impact and the lasting impact that leaves um, long after you've left. And, you know, when people say something's going on, you know, I knew something was different about you. And I mean, sometimes that may be it, sometimes it could be something completely different, but, you know, after you tell people that, yeah, you're a prime military, prime Marine, you know, Sometimes it's like, huh, I would have never guessed that. But then sometimes like, yeah, I knew there was something about you. So it was, um, it was one of those things that I appreciate as in it helped me to grow up. It helped me to grow into my own and also just um, become a little bit more of who I needed to be in terms of work ethics, in terms of, you know, embracing that tenacity sometimes you have and really... That drive to make sure that you leave this world a little bit better than you um, than you found it.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you for choosing to to serve and you know protect our freedom. It's um, a focus choice, I have to say. Uh, and did you go straight? Was it something you always wanted to do, and you went straight into the Marines from school, or
3: was it something that came about? <laughs> By no means, it was not um, something I was just planning on. Um, I, I, yeah, by no means it wasn't, I, um, I ended up, you know, in, in college and I was actually studying electrical, electrical engineering. And I just reached a point where, you know, there has, there was a change that needed to be made, right? So, you know, after evaluating things, I was married at the time and, you know, it was the right move for him. And I'm thinking, surely I'm not about to follow some guy into the military. Of course, that is not what I'm going to do. But I, you know, after talking to the recruiter, I made the decision that was best for me. So I think that is one decision that um, regardless of how it came about, you know, I don't regret it. That's great. Fantastic. So what do you think was your biggest challenge? I think the biggest challenge was not knowing what I didn't know. There are so many things that you need to understand when it comes down to starting your own business, especially financial um, aspects of it. And again, learning how to be—you know—take all the things that you really want and channel that and bring it to market. You know, the product launch, the R and D, the research, the sourcing that's associated with it. Trying to find manufacturers that you're comfortable with, and trying to build those relationships. And I'm trying to find resources here that you're okay with. and I, and I funded this um this entirely myself um, for the past few years. And I think um, as I've done that, you know, I think it's been one of the things where I'm okay with it. You know, all the learning lessons, all the things I had to do, all the ways I had to grow up, and you know, embrace this whole thing. It was <laughs> those are bought lessons, as they say, and. I I can appreciate everyone so that, you know, when new decisions are coming about or when new markets are being introduced or when someone tells you, oh yeah, you should have this, I'm thinking, hmm, I'll think twice, you know, I'll, I'll know to evaluate that, do the market research, you know, do a little bit more digging before yes or no. And I think it helps you to be focused um, on what you need to do. So I think Not knowing what you didn't know, I think that really speaks a lot to my particular situation because I was entering a completely different realm. You know, I used to fix, I used to fix like medical equipment. So doing, going from that into designing sport bike gear, I come on, I use the motorcycle. I'm not designing things or anything else, but it was something that I was passionate enough about um, that I didn't want to quit. I didn't want to stop but i wanted to figure out a way to make it happen. so it wasn't always the easiest. it wasn't always the most straightforward. there are plenty of plenty of lessons learned, plenty of mistakes that were made. but you know what? those are mine. you know, those are mine. i own those. i get to i got to recover from those. i got to you know, make better decisions as a result. so every lesson learned was one that actually took me to another level and help me to kind of grow and you know make this business a little bit more sustainable. So in the upcoming years as I introduce new ideas and new thought processes, new projects, you know, I'm looking at a stronger foundation, making sure I have the right people involved and, you know, taking all the things that I've learned over the years from from an operational manager, operation manager standpoint and operational standpoint to look at efficiencies. You know, how can I you know reduce the time to market how can I make sure I have the the best resources the best folks around the first time around you know how can I do more things here and you know before it goes overseas or whatever the case may be you know and still considering all the other items that go along with it
2: sort of once you started putting your your company and your putting your range out there did you find that being a girl in what is more of a man's world (laughs) not completely but you know there are more guys riding around on motorcycles than women, even though the ladies' section is increasing rapidly. Do you think that was any sort of a hindrance?
3: I'm sure it probably is. was in some aspects, but the interesting part is that I've always been around men. From the time I was in the military, you know, it was from Marine Corps. It was, I'm guessing at the time, it wasn't a lot of women. So I've always had, um, you know, been in a male-dominated environment, whether it was corporate America, whether it was in the Marine Corps. So you learn how to maneuver and you learn how to navigate. And realistically, it wasn't for me about being a male or female or anything else. It was more about, you know, people teaching you and people embracing you. I've had a lot of a lot of folks that have been men that have really, you know took me under their wings, whether I was learning how to fix gear, bend conduit or anything else, or even learn ride motorcycles, where it's just been a, a really good experience. I mean, now when you're looking at building a business, it could, be, it could have been something completely different, um, but I think I was more focused on just trying to make it happen. And if there was a person, male or female, that was willing to help, then great. But if there was a person that was not really so um, so welcoming, if you will, it's what it is. I'll find somebody else. But that's one thing I learned is just don't dwell on anything because some of these things, it's not worth it. Um, life is too short. And there are too many things out there. And every door that closes, that wasn't your door. Some days, some doors are you know, meant to be open. And, you know, sometimes things happen for a reason. I'm a firm believer in that part. And if that particular venture didn't work out the way it was supposed to or where way I felt it needed to work out, then that meant for me at that time that there was something better coming along, something that's going to be better for me and really be um, more of a positive impact on me. Because sometimes I hear people that, you know, knock doors down, that's great. I'm all for it but I rather kind of like I like the ones that are kind of open naturally because it's time maybe it was time for sport bike sheet to come along to start to change things a little bit more no it has been easy but that was a path it wasn't necessarily how to knock the door down as opposed to just keep on moving
2: that's a fantastic attitude that's a great great way to look at it
3: um you're looking at doing um customized
2: products as well
3: Absolutely. So we have a lot of motorcycle clubs, motorcycle organizations out there, and sometimes they, you know, when we ride, we always want to represent our colors. So we have vests on the, we have vests for our patches on the back. We have other things that really represent our our organization that we're a part of, but we don't always, we don't always have protective gear that that starts that way, right? So what we can do, make sure that we have the same quality protective gear but with the logo on the back that properly represents your organization or, or re, represents your band brand so that if you didn't want to have to wear a you know your vest when you in the in the heat of the summer, you can still wear this protective gear with your logo on the back um, and still keep riding down the street. Not quite as hot, obviously anything you wear is gonna be you know warm depending on what time of time of year it is, but you can still be able to you know properly wrap your up your cloak with sport bike chic. And that could be, um, primarily it's going to be for women right now, but we are looking at um, exploring more options for our males. Cause I've had a lot of folks, a lot of guys come up like, what about the, what about the guys out there? What do you mean? you have a lot of stuff, but, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, I, I, I've always tried to be, be as inclusive as I possibly could, but this was a bigger this was a bigger need right now so that's where I started with the women there was a bigger need for that so yes we can explore some got some things for the guys but I want to take care of my ladies first
2: (laughs) fantastic that's awesome and what about dealerships are you going to get out into retail shops it's all online at the moment isn't it I think
3: it is all online right now, but that is some of the things I wanted to explore in the upcoming months and seeing what that looks like, um, being able to get in there, making sure your logistics are all in place so that you can provide timely products and everything and still looking at a nice price point for it so that everyone really wins. Because I really wanted to make sure that our gear for Sport Bike Chic is still accessible to women, right? Um, we wanted to make sure that, yes, I want you to have quality gear as a rider, I want to have quality gear. Um, at the same time, I want to make sure that it's affordable and accessible to women. So um, we, we want to be able to balance all of those things out as we introduce the market as, and definitely as we start to look at dealer partnerships. So
2: for dealers who are listening?
3: Yeah, they can go to sportbikesheet.com and then they can just go to the part that says B2B and they can just email or just email me um, email at info at sportbikesheet.com um and we can certainly get back to them so that we can start to talk about what that looks like start
2: to line line some people up because i think it's it's also a nice thing to be able to you know touch and feel items of clothing and when you're out looking for for something then it's it's good if you can just you know get that visual
3: absolutely and i mean it's it's great because you know if they do have it in the store so sometimes what you find Is that after a while, once you know that you can't find what you're looking for there at a certain place, I don't need to go back to that for a certain place and keep looking because I know it's not there. Right. So sometimes, you know, you may have dealerships or folks that miss out because, you know, they don't, they've never supported in the past. They've never had some of this gear in the past. So now that it's available, this may be a great opportunity to actually attract more women and, you know, different riders and passengers, um, you know, to the businesses. So. That's awesome.
2: So what's coming up next for you? (laughs) What's your, your big step ahead?
3: My big step ahead um, for spring. Well, I think everyone, everything at this point has really been focused around my spring collection. I have a patented idea that I came up with and I have my prototype that should be with me soon. And I'm really excited about introducing that at AIM Expo. So Stay tuned but it's not just about the colors and the sizes sometimes it's about the innovation and just the new things think about what women want and how we typically operate so I'm not going to give too much away but I'm gonna tell you now I'm super excited and you know we'll we'll talk in a few months um, after this new. After a couple of products launch, and you know, you get to tell me like, "Oh my gosh, Sean, you really are a genius." I'm <laughs> kidding. <laughs> awesome.
2: We'll look forward to that. Thank you so much for for joining us. <laughs> it's been great just just chatting with you and finding out how you've got to where you are. Sport bike chic has
3: taken a quite a journey to get to where it is. It has. It has. It's been a it's been a few interesting roads, but just like motorcycling, there are certain. Like three certain things or three things in my life that, you know, they were a little bit more challenging, but they're like some of the best decisions I ever made. So that was one, joining the military. Two, learning how to ride a motorcycle. And three, starting this business. I think those are the things that have helped me to grow up, understand who I am, and really start to embrace all, all that I am, faults and all. But realizing that sometimes you get it right. Sometimes things happen for a reason. Most times things happen for a reason, but sometimes you actually do get it right. And it doesn't always look like that. It just looks like, holy smokes, it was a series of ideas and series of events. What in the world did I just do? But at the end of the day, you can look back and know that all those things, you had either good experiences, you had good teachable moments, or you got a chance to do something good for someone else. So I'm grateful. That's terrific.
2: That's that's inspirational.